right, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We did the first part of this verse, this first service, and we're going to finish up. So two services are going to be uh, given to this one verse, and it could be a lot more. There's a lot to this verse, but uh, we'll read it again. And then the first half we've covered, you can kind of see that maybe a little differently, and we'll end up talking about the last few words of this verse. So here's what it says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about those final words that say, Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful night of good fellowship um, and even better words because they're the words of the living God, and we thank you for that. Lord, we want to again thank you for um, what we have learned this first service today, Lord, and let us be reminded and be thankful that this faith that we have is a true gift from you. We thank you for that, Lord. We can never repay you for that. And You've given us eternal life, and what a wonderful gift that is. Lord, we could never repay you, but Lord, let our hearts constantly be in praise and doxology to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight as we begin to look at this uh, remainder of this verse so we could see the majesty of who you are. We ask these things in your name. Amen. We're going, to end, we're going to look at the ending of this verse, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It may seem like something simple tonight, but I want to go and I just want to touch on the point of the deity of Jesus Christ. When we look back at church history, which I, listen, I strongly recommend, you know, so many Christians, even in this modern era, we don't want to look back into church history. We think it's boring, maybe. We don't understand the relevance of it. But to understand how we got here, to understand um, all the, the deceptive uh, heresies and the destruction and the, and the attack that's been on the doctrine of the Bible and the Christian faith, um, it's nothing new. Like, we think that we're being attacked now, but it, it's been constant. And uh, one of the heresies that came about at the, in the early years of the church was a heresy. Maybe you've heard of it. It was called the Arian heresy. A man named Arius, his view was attacking the triune God. Uh, he believed that God was one. There was one God, and the thought of a trinity couldn't work. It, 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 he couldn't get that in his head. He, he thought that would be a polytheistic view where there would be more than one God, and he couldn't understand how the God of the Bible is triune. It's one being, but three divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And his view was that, yes, God was God, and Jesus was worthy to be worshipped, but he wasn't a being, a, a non-created being. His view was that Jesus was created by God the Father, but still worthy to be worshipped. That doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of problems with that. Number one, God died for his church. That's what Acts tells us, that God purchased his church with his own blood. 
So if Jesus dies on the cross and he's not God, then we can't say that Jesus, or that we can't say that God died for the church. If that's the view, that doesn't make any sense. Also, then, then you have people worshiping a creature. That's what makes God so holy and unique is that he's the uncreated creator. No one created God. God can't create another God. Think about that. Just in the terms alone, if God created a quote-unquote another God, then that God wouldn't be God because it would be dependent on another being for its existence. These things just start to fall apart. But this was a, a, a view that was held early on in the first few, century, or yeah, first few centuries of the early church. And maybe you've heard of the Council of Nicaea. This took place in 325 A.D. Here's some other interesting information. that It took place in a, in, a, in a city called Nicaea, obviously the Nicaean Creed, but it came in a region named Bithynia. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody at all? Where have you heard Bithynia at? If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and you see who uh, he's talking to the exiles here. He says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. So this council took place in one of these locations in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And the point of this council in 325 AD, the Nicene Council, was to absolutely refute at all costs this Arian heresy and to reaffirm the deity of Jesus Christ. That's important. If you don't have the deity of Christ, if Christ is not God in your view, then you don't have the true Christ and you don't have true salvation. It is an important part. It's, it's vital to the faith and the gospel. So you can see that even all the way back in the, in the fourth century, these attacks were coming on the Christian faith. And it's interesting here that Peter says, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter knows that Jesus is God, and he claims it here in this last part of the verse. A few other verses that we see into this uh, is Titus, 3, Titus 2, verse 13. It says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Je or Christ Jesus. We also can go back to the story of Thomas. We know that in John chapter 20, when he was doubting uh, the resurrection of Christ, he had to see him, he had to, he had to see the, the imprints and, of his hands and on his side. And we know that in verse 28 of John 20, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. It's a reference to the deity of Christ. It's an important verse to speak to that. And there are other verses in the Bible, there's other sections of the Bible that talk about the deity of Christ and the Godship of Christ. And we see that in a couple places. I'm going to read through these kind of quickly because the last part of this is what I want to spend a little bit more time on. In Mark chapter 2, we see this is the story of the paralytic man who's being let down from the roof by his friends. And what does Jesus tell him? We see this in Mark chapter 2 verse 5. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that guy that day expecting to get a healing physically? And what he got was so much better. He got spiritually healed. 
he was forgiven of his sin. And here Jesus is claiming that his sins are forgiven. And look what happens. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yeah, that's true. And that's why Jesus said what he said. Your sins are forgiven because he is God. That's why he can say your sins are forgiven because he's God. He's our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. They didn't like that. It says in verse 8, Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. But so that you know, may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, because he's God, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. That's a claim of deity. Only God can forgive sin. How could you say this? Only God can forgive sin. That's true. And that's why Jesus forgave his sin. We see another account in the gospel according to John. In John chapter 5. These are important to have. I think this is important because, listen, you may get questioned about why do you believe in the deity of Christ. This is a, a pretty good reference list. This isn't an exhaustive list. But you can whip these verses out and say, hey, this is some of the, the verses that we use to claim the deity of Christ. In John chapter 5, let me set up this story. That to the Jew, they believed that only God would be able to work on the Sabbath. Right? Couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. But God could. The Jew believed that God was always working. He was working on the Sabbath to run the universe, to maintain everything into its divine order. God was always working. Keep that in the back of your mind. The Jew knew that only God in their mind was working on the Sabbath. John chapter 5, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He just got through healing at Bethsaida. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. I don't, listen, we read that verse and we don't understand. Those are fighting words. Those are pick up some stone kind of words. Because to the Jew, for someone to say that I am working as God is working, my father is working, claiming that relation and that deity to the father. They didn't like that. Look what happens. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Yes, he was working. Yes, he was. He was running the universe. And that claim of deity got them up in arms and was worthy in their eyes to kill him for. We see another example in John 1. 1. We mentioned this the other night. We were in John in our last type and shadow, but John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Christ. I don't have this one down on your paper, but as we are working through this really briefly, um, in the book of Colossians, Talking about Christ, verse 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Let me ask you a question. Go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? It was God. And now we hear in that have in the New Testament, the book of Colossians, talking about the Son. It says, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him. Oh, and yes, for Him. You've heard that before. Speaking of the Son, These are all claims of the deity of Christ, of Him being God. Now, we see that as well. We, we're back in John really quickly. You don't have to turn there, but in John 1.1, 1, 1, we just read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. These are all speaking of the deity of Christ. We also see this in John 17, in the high priestly prayer. In the fifth verse, he says this. Usually you have these on your paper. I'll slow down. That's why I put a lot of those verses typed out in the paper so we don't have to turn a bunch. I just wrote them all out tonight. So if I'm going too fast, I'll, I'll slow down. He says this in John 17, verse 5. Now, Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He was there in creation. He created all things. It is this God in the form of Christ, the second part of the Godhead. Just, we, we mentioned this the other day. I just want to say a few things while we're in John 17. If you look up there in verse 2, it says, Even as you give, gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. Sound familiar? John 6, all the Father gives, they come, they get raised on the last day. Now Jesus is saying, all that you've given me, that he gives them eternal life. And if you want another amazing verse in John 17, I heard this at one of the Ligonier Q&As. And this guy was asked, what was the Father doing before the world was? I mean, I think we mentioned this once, maybe. You ever wonder that? What was the Father doing before He created the world? What was the Father doing before the sun, the stars, and the moon? Well, John 17, verse 24 tells us, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know what the Father was doing? He was loving on the Son 
What a picture that this is. That before the foundation of the world, the triune God, the Father is loving the Son, and the Spirit is present as well. It's non-negotiable that Jesus is God. Philippians 2.6, we know that he, he humbled himself and he took on the form of a man, but he said that he, equality with God was something that wasn't, he didn't have to grasp it or, or, or desire it because he already had it. We'll read that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 really briefly. He says this, "...whom, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped." It was God. But he humbled himself, and like we talked about today, became a bondservant to the will of the Father. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but if you'll see the last two um, verses there, you'll see Isaiah 6 and then a slash in John 12, 41, and you'll see Psalm 102, verses 28, 25 through 28, and Hebrews 1, 18 through 13. Those, are, those two dots right there are how you combat a Jehovah's Witness. If a Jehovah's Witness ever comes to your door, I suggest you know those four verses. Because in Isaiah 6, we see that Isaiah had a vision in the year that King Uzziah died. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And if you ask the Jehovah's Witness or you ask people, they'll say, who was that? That was God. That was Yahweh that was seen there in that vision in Isaiah 6. But then you go to John chapter 12 and it says that Isaiah saw Jesus. How could that be? Because Jesus is God. We also see the same thing in Psalm 102, where it talks about God. It's almost a word for word in Psalm 102 in Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to this. Psalm 102, verse 25 It says, speaking of God, of old you have founded the earth, in the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. That's speaking of God. That's speaking of Yahweh. Then we go to Hebrews chapter 1. Starting in verse 8, he says, But of the Son, he says, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, especially picking up in verse 10. Tell me if you've heard of these before. In verse 8 it says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God? How could that be? Of the Son? Yeah, because He's God. Is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And in the next verses, you're going to see an almost word-for-word -word citation from I, uh, Psalm 102 we just read, still speaking of the Son. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. 
like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Speaking of the Old Testament about God, speaking of the New Testament about Christ. So that's how you get a Jehovah's Witness to really stop and think. You take them to those Old Testament passages and you say, who's that speaking of? And they'll say, well, that's God. It's Jehovah. And then you take them and you flip them to the New Testament. And you see the exact same wordage that it says about the Son. You have no words to combat with that, if you're really honest, because He's God. That was a real quick overview of some of those, but I want to get into something we talked about before, I know a while ago, um, but I want to draw your attention back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is a, <laughs> it's a remarkable chapter. This is the chapter where Moses comes to the burning bush and has this encounter with the Lord. In verse 13 through 14 is really where we want to kind of take this thought and then run with. It says this in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That is where the divine name of God comes from. This is the Yahweh that has full rule and reign of this universe. He's God. He says, I am. You tell him that I am is who sent you. Not I may be one day. I am. He is the only true being that can, there is. He's true being because he's not relying on anyone else. He has life in himself. We are all, we are all dependent on him for our life. We live and move and exist because of him, but not him. He has life in himself. That's full of seity, and he is the only true being. He says, I am. I am is who has sent you. The words I am in Hebrew, E-H-Y-E-H is how that is written out. And when you translate this into the Greek Septuagint, you get two words that come from that translation. And some of you may have remembered this, but the words that translate from that I am into the New Testament Greek is the two words, ego, I me. I am. So now we have Yahweh in the Old Testament speaking to Moses saying, I am is who sent you. And tonight we're going to go through the New Testament. And I'm going to show you the places where Jesus himself utters the words, ego, I me. Claiming that he's God. Claiming he's the Yahweh that Moses had encountered in Exodus chapter 3. It's truly amazing. When you see these, you can't unsee them. Starting in Mark chapter 6, 
There are parallel accounts of this story. This is where Jesus is going to walk on the water. There's a parallel account in John 6 and Matthew 14, but we're going to go to Mark. Because we're at his house. It's the least we can do. Thank you, guys. <laughs> In Mark chapter 6. Now, I want to draw your attention to something really quick that I, I don't think we can overlook. There's only a few times in the, in the Bible that we see that Jesus went and got away from everybody and prayed with himself. Just a handful of times. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see it a couple other times, but not very many times. And what always occurs after he prays by himself is something pretty substantial. And before he comes walking on the water, the Bible records that he bid them farewell in verse 46 of Mark 6, and he left for the mountain to pray. So he goes alone to pray, which is very few. Like I said, a handful of times that he does this, so you know something big is going to happen. And here's where the story picks up. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that he was a ghost and cried out. Here it comes. Remember, I am from the burning bush, Yahweh. Verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage. And those next few words translate something like this. Take courage. Ego I me. Do not be afraid. Do you feel the power in that statement? It's not, it's me. Here's, the, here's Jesus. You know me. You've seen me all around. No, no, no. He was praying by himself because he was going to reveal to them in this moment that he was ego I me. He was God. The same God in the Old Testament, the same Yahweh that met Moses at the burning bush. He says, take courage. Who else could walk on this water? Who else could do what I'm doing? It is me. I am God. God is in your presence. He's in your midst. Don't be afraid. Doesn't that make that story a whole lot better? Hey, not just I'm here. Oh, you're in the presence of Yahweh. God is here. Ego, I, me. We continue to turn in, into Mark chapter 14. He's standing before his accusers in Mark chapter 14. We can go up to verse 60. It says this. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned him and questioned Jesus saying, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? How crazy is that? That the high priest, <laughs> that was to fill the role in the temple, was standing face to face with the true high priest of the universe. The high priest for his people. 
in verse 62. And Jesus said, Ego I me. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man setting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And do you know what happens next? Look at the rage that comes from the high priest. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does he seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Why? Because he said, Ego, I, I me. I'm God. I am him. They thought that was blasphemy. And they deemed him worthy to die. That's another account that he uses. Ego, I me. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a very familiar chapter maybe to some. It's is where he meets the lady at the well, the Samaritan. Here's what he says. Let's start in verse 23. He's having this conversation with her. He's telling her that, that everyone who drinks of this physical water that she's at the well, they'll thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that he gives shall never thirst because he is this water welling up, springing up to eternal life. Now, going back and forth here, she gets called out because she's, <laughs> she's had multiple uh, husbands and she's living in an adulterous one now. She, she is caught by him. He knows this. There's this back and forth being questioned. He says that salvation is from the Jews. And then in verse 23, this is what it says. It says, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Listen to this response. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, ego, I me. You want to see who you're dealing with? You want to talk about the true living water that will quench your spiritual thirst forever? The one that you're looking, that you think is coming, look no farther. You're in the presence of Yahweh. Can you imagine that? I am is in your presence. What a powerful statement. Her life was changed in that moment. John chapter 8. We had labored the point at the start of this sermon that without believing that Jesus is God, you can't be a Christian. And this verse right here will give you all the proof that you need. He says this in John chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe... Ego I me, you will die in your sins. You got to believe Jesus is God. Or you're going to die in your sins and you have no hope. What a statement. Unless you believe that I, God incarnate, standing in your presence, he's telling them, 
Unless you believe that ego I, I me, you're going to die in your sins. You see how many times that Jesus is declaring his own deity? What a powerful expression of this found through the New Testament. But it doesn't end there because, yes, I know a special lady in this room whose favorite chapter is John 10. But I also know a special lady in this room who the ending of John 8 is pretty special too. Am I right on that still? Thank you. Yeah, she is special. We got a long trip ahead of us. We can talk about John 8 all the way down there. John chapter 8, verse 56, I'm going to say 46 and 56, and that didn't come out right at all. (laughs) I'm not even sure what number that that even was. John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old yet. And have you seen Abraham? Here he comes. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, ego, I me. Whew, do you feel that verse? I know why she likes that so much. What are you talking about Abraham for? Abraham? Let me tell you something. The one that's in your presence right now, before Abraham even came into being, I was the one who created him. I was the one who ordained him. I was the one who wrote his name in the Lamb's book of life before Abraham was. I am. Ego, I me. Do you see how this changes the weight of all these stories? That Jesus is declaring his deity Oh, and just in case you don't know what's going to happen to, when Jesus declares his deity, you find it in verse 59. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. They knew it. They knew exactly what he was saying. Because they had the Old Testament scripture. And they knew that he was quoting from Exodus chapter 3. In John chapter 13. This is the Lord's Supper. He says this, verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who, sent, who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it is that the scripture might, may be fulfilled. He who, eats my, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's Psalm 41, 9, a prophecy about Judas. Interesting, to, just a point here I want to just reference here. That thing was prophesied in the Old Testament, correct? Could Judas have really said no, changed his mind? It was decreed. Before the foundation of the world. If Judas doesn't do what he does, then the prophecy of Psalm 41 doesn't come to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass, then God is a liar. And if God is a liar, we have no hope. You see that every word that was prophesied in the Old Testament come to pass. Verse 19. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe 
Ego, I, me. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future, guys. That way, when it does come to pass, oh, I know how it's going to come to pass because Isaiah 46 says, I declare all things, the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is to come. My purpose, my ways, they are established. No one can thwart my plans, is what he's saying. I'm going to tell you in advance. So when it comes to pass, you'll know one thing. You're in the presence of Yahweh. Ego, I mean. You see the weight of this? That he is God. That's not a light matter. That is everything because your salvation rests on it. And so does mine. And then in John 18, this one gets hidden a lot. I know we've referenced it before, but maybe you've never heard this. This is so powerful. John chapter 18, Judas has betrayed Christ. I'll read it to you in verse 1 of John 18, reading down. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Judas had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. You know what he says to them here? He said to them, Ego, I me. Who are you looking for, Jesus? You found him, but you also found Yahweh. Ego, I me. I am is standing in your presence. And look what happened. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, Ego I me, they drew back and fell to the ground. How many times have you read the story? They come to arrest him and didn't quite catch that. Here all these people in this cohort of officers and all these people are coming to arrest Jesus. And they say, who you, who, he says, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. And he declares his deity. That's me. I am. You come looking for me, you found I am. Can you imagine that scene? That you are going to arrest this man who you think is false and does not have any power, and at the sound of his name being mentioned, that you fall backwards and fall to the ground in honor and reverence and power of his name. Think about that. That's the honor that his name is due. That's the honor that his name deserves. How flippant we use it. How irreverent we pray with it, his name in. And at his declaration that he's ego, I mean, they all fall down on the ground. Don't miss it. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that ego, I mean, so if you seek me, let these go their way. You see, it also tells us 
I didn't write it on your sheet, but in one of the, the Gospels there that says that there will be a time that there will be false prophets coming, claiming that they are Him. I am, but they're not. Because there's only one. That God is triune. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And our salvation is Trinitarian in nature. We've said it before, but it's a beautiful thing. It's such harmony with the Trinity that it's the Father who chooses and elects and writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's His job. That's what He does. And then He gives them to the Son. What does the Son do? The Son goes and lives a perfect, sinless life to fill the righteous requirement of the law. And then He goes to the cross to be the propitiation, to lay His life down, to purchase the church, and to lay His life down for the sheep. You see, He purchased, He redeemed those whom the Father had given. And then the Spirit. The Spirit takes those whom the Father has chosen and the Son has died for. And He goes in His work and He regenerates their soul. And then he leads them into sanctification all their life. It's Trinitarian. Your salvation is Trinitarian. If Jesus is not God, you can't be saved. Because if Jesus is not God, then you have someone who is born with an imputed sin nature. Think about that. Every creature that has been born on this planet has been born with Original sin. So if he's not God, then he's born with original sin. If he's born with original sin, guess what he can't do? He can't live the full law perfectly, and he can't be the propitiation. He can't be the righteous requirement of the law. He can't give you perfect righteousness, and you remember that we don't have any. So we're all doomed. Acts says that God purchased his church on the cross. That's exactly what happened. We have to understand the weight and the seriousness and the absolute necessity that Jesus is God. You do have a few verses down here at the bottom of your sheet. Listen to what these say. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. So now we're going into the Savior. He's God and Savior. And now we have this verse that says, you'll call his name Jesus. And what does that mean? He might save his people from their sin. He could possibly, if they make the right decision. <laughs> it says he will. He will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So now we see that he's going to save his people from their sin. And oh, by the way, it's God with us. Luke 2, verse 10 through 11. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Then we get into Titus, Titus 3, verse 4 through 6. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on, upon us richly through Jesus Christ, again, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jude 24 and 25, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Jude 24 and 25 is quickly, quickly running up my top verses in the Bible. Seems like there's not too many sermons that these don't come and be a part of it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Yeah, that's right. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. He's making sure you're going to get there. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here comes doxology. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You see, we look back where we started about the Arian heresy. It's been running rampant in the church for the attack on the deity of Christ. It doesn't stop back then. Just because the church and the council said that's heresy, it doesn't stop it. It's still going on today. The deity of Christ is under attack. But it's vital. Because think about this. We all need a Savior, don't we? And like we talked about today, that look who the gift comes from. Look at the value of the gift by who it's from. This faith that he gives you is a gift. What a gift that is. You say, well, my faith come from Christ and him alone. And we give glory to him for that. But then you have to ask yourself this. Who rescued you? Who saved you? God himself. How do we say that? And it not move us. That you weren't saved by a creature that was made. You weren't saved by some human being, some created thing. No. If you're a Christian, you've been given faith by God. And God himself has saved you. Think about it. The God of this universe saved his people. That's everything. If one doesn't believe that Jesus is God, they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. If one doesn't accept the Son as God, as he truly is, then he can't have the Father, he can't have eternal life. This is a necessity. Jesus is God, and he came to save and purchase his church. He's the God of this universe. He's also our Savior. And you think about it. Think about it and reflect on this verse. Because let's go back to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter. I knew it was going to happen eventually. Listen to this verse again. Think about who gave you the faith to believe as a gift. Think about who saved you. And listen to this verse. 
Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a verse. What a verse that is. We could go on that so much longer and so many more weeks. But I want you to stop and just think about this verse today. If you have faith, you got to remember where it came from. It came from the same one who created the universe. It came from the same one who saved your soul. Same one who died for his people. The same one who's the guardian of your souls. And who is that? The great I am. That's who it is. That's who did it. That's who gets all the glory. That's why you're a Christian. That's why you have faith. That's why you've been rescued. That's why you've been saved. By our God and our Savior. Ego, I me, the great, I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this one verse. Lord, the depth and the riches of your truth and your mercy and your grace and your love sometimes are just too much for our finite mind to comprehend. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we pray that from this day forward, we will have a greater thanks in our hearts. Lord, when we think about our faith, nothing we merited, nothing we earned, but it was given by you. And Lord, as we think about our need of a Savior, we've been saved by the great I Am, by you, by Yahweh, by the true and living God. Lord, let us know that. Let us reflect on that. And Lord, let it drive us to our face in praise. You are God. We acknowledge that, Lord. You tell us in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, He's been raised from the dead. We will be saved. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that those whom you call to yourself, those whom the Father have given that come to you, everyone who calls on your name for a perfect Savior, they will find a perfect God and a perfect Savior. To you be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.